This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, certainly the healthcare sector has battled through the last three years of the pandemic. It's most likely an industry that has had to make many pivots, but hopefully will be much better off as we move ahead. And one of the big components of that future growth of healthcare, something we've seen already, but continues to grow, is technology and digital health. To talk about all of that, we welcome back Ezekiel Emanuel, who is Professor of Healthcare Management at the Wharton School, as well as Professor of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Zeke, always great to talk with you and uh, hope things are going well for you. It's always great to be here. Thank you. Where do you think we are right now in terms of the healthcare sector, especially when you look at what all of it has had to go through over the last three years? Um, it's very stressed. Uh, let me just raise first, um, we have a big labor problem because of all the burnout. Uh, it's been an intense three years. We already had some challenges and uh, COVID didn't make it any easier. Um, a large part of those challenges you know, relate to doctors and nurses' sense of autonomy, sense of social connection, and uh, they're feeling very challenged. They're, you know, some of the polls have uh, 60 to so percent of both nurses and doctors burned out. So there's a huge labor problem. And replacing the people who've left, it's estimated 300,000 nurses, for example, have left the profession. You've got hospitals, including hospitals right here in Philadelphia, that have new wings or new hospitals and can't staff them. So that's a, that's a challenge. Uh, second, um, You've got hospitals that are having financial challenges. A lot of hospitals reporting operating deficits. Um, forget the investment deficits. They've made big investments in the market and uh, other vehicles. And uh, obviously 2022 was a loss year, um, but there's a lot of them with operating deficits. That's because the, they lost a lot of the elective surgery during COVID. Um, and it hasn't come back. Some of it was definitely unnecessary. And I think it's showing the bad business model that many of them had living uh, on elective surgery. Um, and that, uh, I think, is, is another major challenge. Um, you know, if there's a positive, there are answers. So one thing I think you're seeing and going to see much more of is uh, automation. Um, I've written about this in the Wall Street Journal, and um, <clears throat> I think it's really, really uh, fundamental, which is, you know, you're not going to solve shortages of workers by throwing workers at them. So you need automation where it can work, whether it's in scheduling or patient intake um, or other, you know, getting them information or automating uh, um, uh, prescription renewals. Um, getting 90-day prescriptions. There's a lot of automation that can and uh, can happen. I'll just tell you, I'm working with the National Language Pro Natural Language Processing Company, and we talked to the uh, cancer center. One of their big challenges is they don't have enough people uh, looking at their patients and reporting them to the registry. They're two years behind. So if we had uh, technology automation that could go through the records fill out those forms and report them, holy cow, you know, that would make it, you wouldn't need so many people and it would make it very efficient. Uh, so I think those are the kinds of, you know, automation is coming like many other things, healthcare is slow in adopting that tech. 
But I think uh, uh, the pressure because of labor shortage is going to be high to adopt uh, said uh, um, uh, autom automation. I think another very clear area is, um, you know, everyone talks about RPM, remote patient monitoring. That is wrong. Remote patient monitoring is useless. It's what we need is remote patient management. The issue is you find out some patient because of remote patient monitoring, because of a bunch of sensors that can be installed passively, i.e. the patient doesn't have to download an app and this and that, it works behind the scenes. Um, then it has to go to some central processing area, can't involve the doctor or the nurse to sort through the noise and the signal. You need AI infused you know, to soup up tremendously the signal to noise ratio. But then the question is, what do you do? <laughs> you know, and we need yeah. better experiences with either a telemedicine visit, a home visit, a, you know, you're really sick, you need to come to the doctor's office or to the emergency room or to an urgent care center. Um, I think that's coming. And you're going to have a lot more um, home care of this type uh, that will allow us to decamp uh, hospitals that are running at 100% capacity, but also much more cost-effectively treat patients. And I don't know anyone who's been in the hospital recently who was like, oh yeah, I'd rather be in the hospital than my home. I've never heard that. Never, ever heard that. Um, so, you know, most patients would prefer to be treated at home in a, you know, environment they know, an environment where they can sleep in their bed not disrupted at two in the morning by a nurse taking their blood pressure for no obvious medical reason. Anyway, I think those are two big trends, automation and remote patient management slash, you know, hospital at home, more acute care at home. Joined by Ezekiel Manuel, professor of healthcare management here at the Wharton School. So we were talking a little bit about the different elements of, of digital. And, and when you think about, you know, the benefits that it is had already on the day-to-day management uh, and connection between patients and medical personnel, but there's also the research side and, and how much that technology is playing a role in building out a lot of what we are trying to fight against on the medical side. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, you know, one of the challenges in medicine is uh, that new technologies raise costs and don't lower costs. Um, I am very, very uh, on the lookout. I've seen a few. Uh, for new technologies that actually can lower costs. I'll give you one example. Full disclosure, I'm an advisor to this company and um, I'm really excited about it, and which is why I'm an advisor to them. <clears throat> and that is, you know, here at Penn, we developed CAR-T therapy. We pioneered it. And it's where we take cells, reprogram them to fight cancer and now potentially other conditions. Um, but manufacturing, they're, they're all bespoke. You've got to take them out of one patient, infuse them, change them, infuse them. That production is very labor intensive and it's all bespoke. And one of the things, uh, you know, when humans get in and pipette from this to this and all the steps that are necessary, growing them up and decamping, um, first of all, takes time, labor intensive. And um, because it's human step to step, um, potential mistakes and, and variation can happen. So they're working on a technology 
that will automate that process. And once human puts in the cells, the only other thing they do is take the cells out and every single step is automated. And this is estimated could reduce the cost of manufacturing CAR T cells from $160,000 to $80,000. Still not cheap, but that's a big delta, a very big delta. And so I'm very excited about that possibility. Uh, having technologies like that that can lower the cost of care going to be really, really important. I think the system is, um, you know, employers through a variety of mechanisms have said 18% of GDP, that's our limit. Um, and I think they're going to enforce that. Um, they can't pay more. You know, we're, we're, we're in a situation where health insurance now $22,000 for a family. $22,000? Yeah. yeah. You can buy a car for that. So I think um, I think we're going to have to have new technologies that actually succeed in lowering costs. But when you talk about tech in general, I think that the discussion in a lot of sectors uh, is, you know, we're obviously we're building up the the knowledge and the understanding of how tech can impact so many different business segments right now. Is it safe to say that a lot of the focus that younger generations will also have a benefit as they get, you know, a little bit older in their life with all these different business sectors, that to a degree, they will also benefit on the healthcare side from all of this technology that, that could be involved in the next, say, 10, 15 years? Um, well, Dan, maybe you have a cleaner, clearer crystal ball, but 10 or 15 years is hard for me. I would say um, uh, I agree with you. One of the things we're going through is a big teething phase now. And I do think, you know, tech that doesn't work so well is going to get weeded out. And tech that works well is going to be expanded and improved upon. And I do see that coming down the pike. You know, it's like, what is home care? It's a big logistical problem. You got to get all these things, whether it's antibiotics, IV fluids, hospital bed, um, uh, oxygen, all to get to the house at the same time, to be set up easily, not inconvenience. You know, that's a huge logistical challenge. It's a yeah. very big tech challenge. Um, and I think uh, getting that right is something that's going to have to be worked on. And, and there's no doubt a tech platform is going to be necessary uh, for it and is going to make life a much better. Uh, but it's not here today. So let me then take the 10 to 15 years component out of play. And let me just focus next year, because part of this is us looking at, at what next year, what is it that you would like to see healthcare in general address next year in the next 12 months that maybe is something that's maybe lower hanging fruit that's more attainable? Are, are there are there elements that you focus on out there that that you would like to well, see? I do, I, do think, uh, I do think the adoption of automation is going to be really critical. I, I mean, I just don't know how we're going to get through this uh, labor shortage problem without adoption of automation. That's the first thing. Um, and I do think the next 12 months could be critical, uh, where people experience real savings and real benefits and see its advantages. Uh, second, um, I do think over the next, what I one of the things I'd like to do is outside, I'd like the employers to get serious about their approach to healthcare. One of the problems is, they, you know, they you hear them bitch all the time about 
oh, the cost, the cost, the cost. You know, why can't we bring them? And then you get the sort of Berkshire Hathaway chase Amazon thing, and we're going to solve it. And then they fail. There are things employers can do. Uh, and I think the biggest one is in a market, a, town, a city like Philadelphia, could you do a better job of coordinating your benefits so you don't have a thousand plans by insurers? You have a standardized plan that everyone's buying. And we know from other countries that works real. And we know from the California exchange that works really well. Well, we're going to have a standardized plan with standardized deductibles and co-pays, uh, with standardized pricing. Um, and if you did that, you would decrease a lot of fragmentation. And it's not like, I mean, these employers have been deluding themselves that, oh, they manipulate these things just a little and they'll have a competitive advantage on healthcare. We've seen that as a failed experiment going for decades. Standardization is way better. They know that in their prime business, they should know yeah. that in healthcare and they should begin to insist on it. And you can't have standardization unless the employers get together. Zeke, always great to talk to you about all of these things. Thanks for giving us a few moments. Take care, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Always great to have you. Ezekiel Emanuel, Professor of Healthcare Management at the Wharton School and Professor of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the Perelman School here at the University of Pennsylvania. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we are going to be talking about AI with Anna Patterson, who's the managing partner at Gradient Ventures, thinking about how AI is going to boost so many avenues of the economy in the years ahead. We're also going to talk about how tech is impacting the banking sector with Josh Glover, who is the president of Encino. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.